And I am Rami, and this is Workplace Hugs. Workplace Hugs is where we talk about interesting things we've read and how it relates to the workplace experience. Our goal here is simple. Help all of us expand our workplace toolkits with a whole bunch of empathy without a whole new degree. We'll purposefully talk about it in different scenarios. We'll hit it high level. We'll talk about how we've experienced it at the lowest level. And then we'll share some ways to take this back into your own workplace life. This week, I'm excited because we're talking about something by the Heath Brothers... And hopefully it's got an acronym that I can remember (laughs) that isn't an acronym for anything else. And there's some like really fun tactical pieces. Which Do we have all those this week? Oh, of course we do. It's the Heath Brothers and it's me. (laughs) I just think it's funny that this was a book that I chose because I feel like you're like a Heath Brothers super fan. Yeah, I love those guys. they're They're so ingrained, I think, in one... I think design thinking, which is like my Mm. favorite way of solving problems. But then too, I think there's like a really strong empathy like throughout their work. And I think that's where I think it resonates for both of us. Yeah. I was surprised when you hadn't read this book yet. because I was like, oh, I'm sure Robbie's read this one. (laughs) But you haven't, right? No. Okay. I'm excited. Okay. Tell us about Decisive. Yeah. So we are talking about the book Decisive today by those lovely Heath brothers, Chip and Dan Heath. And this is a book all about tactics, strategies, etc., that we can employ to help us make better decisions. And one thing that I thought was interesting, I don't know if they reference this in the book, but I know that I have heard this quote or statistic before, is that it's estimated that average adults make over 35,000 decisions in a day. You said a, a year? 35,000 decisions a, a, a day? <laughs> a day, a day. And so we want to support you in making better ones with the big and small stuff by uh, by talking about some of the key points in this book. And I think how it relates to empathy is that we really want to build compassion for ourselves and others by knowing where decisions go wrong, frankly, and how we can avoid those pitfalls as individuals and as like teams or organizations in the workplace. So with that, should we dive in to let's, let's go like 30,000 feet and give an overview on I mean, it's the Heath Brothers, so you know there's going to be a framework on the framework Framework. that they talk about, and then we'll kind of break each one down for you. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so they talk about the RAP framework, and that's W-R-A-P. So there's four parts in the RAP framework. The first is to widen your options when it comes to making decisions. So breaking out of an airframe and expanding the set of options you're even considering. The second is to reality test your assumptions. So where uh, might you have some bias built in um, and you're making some assumptions that might just be false? The A is for attain distance before deciding. So I know I'm prone to emotional (laughs) decision making. I know some other people who might be listening to this might be as well. So this is all about disrupting the influence of emotions, short term emotions in particular, to make sure that you're making a solid decision. And then the P is about preparing to fail, which when I first read that one, I was like, gross, like, I don't want to prepare to fail. I want to prepare to Uh succeed. But uh, it's basically about how do we avoid being overconfident about our decisions and how they might unfold to make sure that we're taking the time or the opportunity to plan for what can be good and bad about this choice that we might be making. Okay, so the RAP framework, W-R-A-P, is widen your options. Mm -hmm. So 
break out of your narrow frame, expand your set. Reality test those assumptions. So fight your biases. Uh, attain distance before deciding. So don't let emotion dictate your decision. Yep. And then prepare to fail, which is the P. So to me, it really feels like two halves. The W and the R are really the like setup. And then the, the A and the P are the we're ready to make the decision. Now, how do we make sure we make the best one? Yeah, that's a great way to think about it. They don't break it that down in the book, but I like that, Robbie. <laughs> okay, so let's start with widen your options. Yeah, so some tips that they give in particular, and the first one I love the most in terms of how we widen our options, how do we expand the set that we're considering, is to think and, not or. So anytime you're giving yourself an either-or choice, it's a dead giveaway. You're working with an arrow frame. So because you're saying it has to be this or, or that. that. Yes. So how do we think about you, you, you want to basically have at least more than two options a little bit. Um, and I can think of where this came up for me as I was reading this book, my husband and I are making some important decisions about foster care, actually. And I, I had an or decision in mind. I was like, oh, well, it's this or it's that there, there's like clearly no other possibilities here. And to allow yourself to think about like, and a little bit like, and what else could be possible here? What are the other things that we might consider? Oh my gosh. I'm so glad that we did that. <laughs> so it have been really poor decision-making. This, Sorry. This is a design thinking principle, right? It's the yes and mentality versus the or or but. Oh, that's right. Okay, I don't think we have we done an episode on design thinking. Sidebar. Here. We, I think we've hit it a bunch of times. I don't know if we've done one that's straight up design thinking. I feel like we should, guys, All right. listeners, expect that. That's going to be coming soon. Yes and. <laughs> yes, yes and. Okay, the second tip that they give for widening your options is to run what they call the vanishing options test. Ooh. Yeah, this is another one that I did recently that I was like, whoa, it just opens up your mind so much. So basically, this one is like, well, what if the option you're considering was no longer an option? What would you do then? See, this to me is like how I live my decision making life right here. Oh, tell us more. Because... I'll make a decision like I need new, I need, like, I've been wanting to buy a projector so we can have outdoor movie nights. Yeah. And I think I know that I want one of, I want it to do certain things, but I don't think I've decided on a model because there's just like a million of them. And so I will see a good deal come up. And at that point I will overanalyze it and then it'll go out of stock. And then it, it's now vanished. And then I'm back to where I started, <laughs> which was with... With no, uh, with like all the options mm. without like a front runner. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you, you get into literal vanishing option <laughs> territory. No, for sure. That's what I'm saying. Like this is, this is my decision making uh, life is this vanishing option. Oh, okay. Maybe this one is it <laughs> for you then. Uh, yeah. Maybe you need to work on speed with decision making though. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But the idea here is that take your options and maybe one of them vanishes not because it goes out of stock in my sense but in that like what if that one wasn't even an option well and i find this most helpful actually when i'm working with clients who are so sure that they only have one option so i don't think this comes ah. into play as much when you have like multiple already in mind i think it's, it's when, when you, you are so set on just one thing that it's like okay well let's say you couldn't do that anymore mm -hmm. example like when they're so sure that staying in their current job is the only option. Like, 
Okay, yep. well, let's say that that's just gone. Like the company yeah. implodes tomorrow and that's no longer an option for you. What would you do? Where would you work? How would you want to spend your time? So I think this one comes more into play again when there's just like one option that a person is feeling yeah. stuck or trapped in. I like that. So if you don't, if you can't widen your options, force yourself to by taking your option out. Yes, exactly. And then the third tip they give in the widening your options bucket is to do what they call multi-track, which is basically just like give yourself permission to follow a few paths at the same time and see where it leads. Don't uh, uh, falsely eliminate an option too soon. I think a lot of times people get set on narrowing a scope when they maybe don't need to. Like you can apply for three jobs and see where each application takes you versus Mm -hmm. thinking that you need to narrow your field. Or you can apply to three different industries and see where it takes you versus thinking you need to narrow your field at a certain point when you just don't have to. I like that. Okay. So that's widening your options. So now we've got wide options. We've got a bunch of options with the and we've vanished and then expanded, and then multi-tracked. Yes. So what's next? So next up is our reality test assumptions. And this is all about fighting what they call the confirmation bias when assessing options to ensure that you're gathering information that you can actually trust. Mm, I like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I, I feel like I did this a lot at Target where I would just be so sure Like, oh, well, this is the way we need to structure this team. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) That I would basically look for things to confirm, look for data points to confirm, like, that this was what we should do. Yeah. I I was terrible about this. So a couple of tips that they have here is to, one, consider the opposite or assign someone to actually play the devil's advocate on this choice that you're, you're making or this assumption that you're making. So if you are sure that something is right, list exactly... (laughs) why it might be wrong. I like this. And I think too, if your workplace buddy is someone who understands your job, right? Like sometimes it's, oh, we do completely different things. We just love hanging out with each other. But if it's someone who's like, oh no, we do the same thing. We're just in different parts of the company. I think this is a good time to have them play devil's advocate because they can put themselves in your shoes to actually challenge you. Yes, yes. Rami, I think you are always... Honestly, like you were my devil's advocate a lot. Like I can remember you just like coming up to my desk and, and I'd be like, well, this is what we've got to do, or this is how it's done. And you just kind of be like, huh, like, or not. <laughs> You're really gifted at that. Okay, so then the second tip under this one is to ask disconfirming questions. So a little bit of a play on the devil's advocate, asking questions like, how might this not work? Why might this fail? What's the biggest optical obstacle to success here? Versus just asking the questions that you know are just going to confirm <laughs> your decision. So disconfirming is a word? In the book, it's a word. <laughs> All right. So we're asking these disconfirming questions to disconfirm ourselves from our successful confirmation bias. Yes. Yes. Okay. And then the last one that I love their word for it, but they say that you should ooch. Ooch. So, ooching, I think there's like a whole book written on this. I don't remember the name of it now, but they reference it. Ooching is essentially experimenting. So, how can you ooch your way in to actually, again, like reality test any sort of assumptions that you're making? And one of the examples that they gave in the book that I thought was just amazing, there's apparently a physical therapy school 
that demands that every student that applies has at least 100 hours of like shadowing where they've shadowed other physical therapists so that they've essentially already experimented and have ooched their way into this profession so that they know for sure that this is what they actually want to do because they don't want high dropout rates in the school. And I thought that was a really genius, powerful example of ooching. I like that because mm-hmm. it's like, okay, I want to, I want to go to, I don't know, an example. I want to go to culinary school, yep. but maybe I go and take like a few cooking classes. And if I really don't like learning how to chop things the right way, well, maybe culinary school is not the right thing for me. Yeah. And maybe that ooch test is, is the right way to, to test my assumption that that's exactly what I want to be doing. Yeah. This is a little bit of sidebar, but Rami, can you think of a time where you ooched? I'm a terrible oocher. I'm a terrible decision maker. <laughs> I don't like uh, testing things. Mm. I Sorry. I love testing things. I don't like reality testing things. Uh. Which I think would then hinder me from doing the thing. Yeah. Kind of like my vanishing options, which is just how I live my decision-making life. <laughs> you take so long that options just vanish for you. Vanish. They don't exist. Oh. Uh. I think for me, like, the the biggest time that I can remember where I permitted myself to ooch was when I moved into coaching. I started an experiment. I didn't just, like, jump straight into coach certification because that's really expensive. I started by reaching out to the, the Target peer network and asking people mm-hmm. if they would let me practice coaching them for, like, four sessions to actually see if this was something that I would enjoy doing. Uh, And I'm so glad I did that because that could have been like a $25,000 mistake if I would have jumped in with certification first. And I think that's where I see this come up a lot for people is around things related to education or field switches of just like, no, there there are ways that you can experiment before just deciding that you've got to make the investment. Well, and I think it's so good too when you're like very confident in a decision to like ooch into it in whatever way is possible for you. So if it's Shannon, you want to coach people, well, let me just try and coach some people for free and and see if I am, am enjoying the struggle of it enough that I want to learn how to do it the right way. Yes. And I think the way I think about this is like when there's, when there's an avenue that you're really excited about, but it's a very wide difference a 180 degree switch from what you're doing. How do you get a few experiences in that before you fully invest yourself down that path? Yes. Yes. The ooch. The ooch. What a word. All right. So we've reality tested our assumptions now, Shannon. Yes. What's next? Well, now we're shifting into the second half, which is that you're you're ready to make the decision, if you will. I loved how you put that around me. If like there's the preparing and then there's the like, okay, I'm ready to make it. So then comes the A, attain distance before deciding. So this is, again, all about disrupting the influence of your short-term emotions to make sure that you make a decision that's actually rooted in your core priorities or values or whatnot. And one of the examples in the book, or the one example that I thought was the most helpful, was what they call the 10-10-10 principle. I think I'm probably going to... I think this is a Jack Welch thing. He was like some CEO of something someday back in the day. Yep. Isn't that so helpful? Yep. That's very helpful. <laughs> yeah, he wrote a lot of books. GE. GE. Was it GE? I, that's what I was going to say, so. but I wasn't sure. So 101010 10, 10 is about taking a moment to step back and asking yourself, 
three questions all about tens. So how will I feel about it 10 minutes from now? How will I feel about it 10 months from now? How will I feel about it 10 years from now? I'm taking a I minute like to check in with those. So, and I think the 10, 10, 10 to me is so similar to what we talked about in emotional agility, which is like, how do you take a step back? How do you like say, okay, I'm feeling emotions right now, but those emotions aren't core to who I am. So yes. how do I think about this in that 10, 10, 10 space, separate myself from the emotions that I'm feeling and actually think about the impact of this decision in uh, short, medium, and then very long-term yes. impacts. Yes. So that's a helpful tip on how to attain distance. And then the last one is the P, prepare to fail. Ooh, I like that. It's like, this is, this is design thinking, right? They're saying like, prepare to fail. It's not like, like, I don't know, I was gonna use another repeat word, but it was like, uh, think about like, what failure could look like, or something like, no, 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 prepare to fail. Like, failure is very certainly an option here. So like, prepare for that. Yeah, it's to be expected, or let it be expected, and then have a better chance of perhaps not failing because you anticipated it. So again, this is all about being overconfident about how your decision is going to unfold and take the opportunity to plan for both good and bad scenarios. So an example that they set here is to establish what they call the tripwire. So when are you going to revisit this decision? And what are the success or failure factors that you're going to consider so that you know if it's time to reevaluate or not? I think, again, people can get really stuck on a decision. And then I can think of times in my career at Target where perhaps I didn't abandon ship when I should have, you know, not like abandoning my job, but like, you know, like abandoning a project or an approach to something because it was my baby, you know, like, oh, but this I'm just so sure that this is what I need to do. So if I would have instead determined, okay, I'm going to try this for a while, I'm going to ooch into it, I'm going to experiment, and then I'm going to revisit and look at these things to be the signs that we are going to continue or not continue down this path. It would have been a good thing. Yeah. And I almost think of this, I like the idea of a tripwire, but I think of it as like a, in this scenario, I think of it as like a ripcord in that, like Mm. at some point I'm going to be so close to the ground that I need to either pull this thing or crash into the ground. Yeah. Or I'm actually landing in the water, which is what I planned on, right? So I think setting that setting that time for you to revisit and then setting up those success and failure factors, I think is really important to know when to pull and say, like, no, we gotta get out of this thing. Yeah. Yep. Prepare to fail. I love it. Wrap. Yes. Wrap it is. So I'd love for us to talk about this a little bit. We just covered a lot of material there. And uh, maybe let's start it off by just having a conversation about what's a decision where you used any part of rap, Rami, and and how did it help you? I've been at work working on packaging options for Mm -hmm. a project that is on a very, very tight deadline. And we've been using this multi-track approach, which is we've been sourcing from multiple places all at the same time, getting them all in, getting them all tested and doing that all at once. I think the 
big thing for me with that multi-track approach is like you can only do it for so long yes before it burns you out and so i think what we've said is okay well once we get everything in we'll give ourselves like and our partners like a few days but there's a cutoff and we cannot keep going down three paths because we're not going to like we're not going to do all three of these things we're going to do one Mm -hmm. but i think that's been really helpful in terms of like widening our options because Mm -hmm. there are times i remember my career where we'd just pick one packaging and then we'd go to test it with our product and it there would be something weird that would happen and all of a sudden you've now delayed yourself and so i Mm -hmm. think using that multi-track widening our net that and not or uh, mentality i think has been really helpful at least in this process of figuring out this like packaging situation yeah, I love that example. I think I gave the one earlier about foster care for me that really sticks out of, uh, for me, I think my weak point is the W, mm-hmm. which is the, maybe the most important. I can get really stuck in either or scenarios. And I'm finding that as a really helpful trigger to look for. Just look for the word or and where that's showing up for me. And then also the vanishing options test, you know, where I take things away and I'm like, okay, that's just not an option anymore. What are we going to do? Or I can think about, oh, gosh, I'm sure some of our listeners can relate to this, making decisions about how to work from home during COVID with kids, Mm -hmm. you know, and my husband and I got really stuck on thinking that there was one solution there. Yep. And instead, we decided to multi-track. So right now, our daughter is going to a daycare kindergarten. So we have some time to yes. actually get our jobs yep. done during the day. And also we're keeping her enrolled in distance learning through Minneapolis public schools. And we're basically going to multi-track those two options until we can't anymore. Uh-huh. And like, until it comes clear that we need to make a choice. And so far that's, we're very glad that we went with the multi-track route because there's just no choices to be made here in mm-hmm. some ways. Well, and I think, I think we're both hitting on it. I think at least for both of us, our focus is really on how do you widen your options. Yeah. I think because once you get into the habit of making decisions and look, you're making 35,000 decisions a day. Like you normally are going to have a gut instinct. You're going to feel good about it and you're going to go with it. Like you don't have the, the time or the space to kind of do the rep framework. I think when it's a big decision, taking the time to do the rep framework, the place that it's going to be the most difficult is going to be in the widening your options because we're so programmed to have a gut instinct, feel good about it, assume it's going to succeed, ask confirming questions, and then just accept that it's not going to fail, right? And I think that's where this framework, this RAP framework, is really about those big decisions, those ones that you will want to take the 10, 10, 10 test on. And and maybe that's the way to validate whether or not you should take the RAP framework is, is this something that the 10, 10, 10 will have a, a big impact on me? And I should really take time to think about that. And if the answer to that is yes, then you need to go through the whole thing and really widen those options. Because at that point, you're actually putting yourself into the framework to make a decision. Yeah. Because... If you just have one option, you're not making a decision. You're just going down that path, right? <laughs> like, uh-huh, I don't see uh-huh. anything else. The woods are up. I don't see that there are other paths. Like, I, I only have this option to go straight because the yes. trees are pushing me that way. 
Yes, yes. So maybe that answers the next question I was going to ask, which is what part of rap do you think is hardest for most people? I think it's I think it's widening the options. I think it's not even knowing that you need to widen your options. Yeah, I would agree. In the book, they give this example of, uh, I don't know what beverage company, the CEO who of a beverage company who bought Gatorade, and it was like the best decision he could have ever made. And like everybody praised him, like, look at the success of Gatorade. And because of that, he made a, a pretty rash decision to buy Snapple because he thought it was like a lot of the same it looked a lot, a lot of the same way yeah. when everything, like if he would have followed the rap framework, like everything would have told him this is a bad decision. Uh, and they paid the cost or I think they paid billions of dollars to that company. And it's maybe worth like a couple hundred million right now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what Finding I mean. Like, our options. I think not knowing it's even a, a situation to use the rep framework, I think is the part that's the trickiest for us. For me personally, I think it's the hardest for most people is like, knowing to go through this. And that's where I say, maybe the gut check for this is do the 10, 10, 10, right? If, if you say, well, how am I going to feel about this in 10 months or 10 years? it's like, well, no, I know that this is the right thing. Okay, cool. Just go with it. But if it's like, no, this is going to have a huge impact on who I am in 10 months and who I am in 10 years, then take the step back and say, okay, I should really go through this framework. But a lot of decisions you make, like, okay, I'm going to put on these socks or those socks. Is that going to have an impact on you in 10 years? I don't think so unless you like keep track of the socks that you wear every day and something about your pattern today is very different than everything else that came before and everything after and it's really going to just grate on you. Um, uh-huh. I think that to me is is how I would validate using this. Yeah, that's a good segue then into the tactical. Like, How do we bring this back to a level that you, listener, can apply to your everyday And that is my very first tip is like, think of a decision that you're facing and widen your options, find at least three. And to Rami's point, like, yeah, if it's about socks, maybe don't do that on (laughs) socks or something like that. But the things that really matter, so using 10, 10, 10 to maybe assert, is this a decision that really matters? Because it's really going to impact who I am 10 months, 10 years from now. Then in that one, how do you look for where you're making it an or? Or, or, or maybe it's even narrowed down to only one option, that you mm-hmm. only see one option, where you only see one or two options for yourself, you've got to go find at least three. So use the vanishing options test. Uh, use creative thinking to try to see what else might be available to you. Second tip that I would offer is to ask yourself, is there a way to ooch into this? Is there a way for me to experiment, for me to reality test this choice before going all in. I like that. And then the last one, full disclosure, this one actually doesn't come from this book. It comes from Atomic Habits, which we we covered recently. Uh, but it's to keep a decision-making journal. And I thought this uh, was way... But yeah, <laughs> Rami's getting... <laughs> what's coming up for you, Rami? so much anxiety. I don't like it. Okay, so talk to us about this decision-making journal. So... I guess this is a, uh, I shouldn't say common thing. There are a few CEOs who do this, which I had never heard of this before, but it basically it's about keeping a record of any major decisions that you make in a week, in a month, in a year, and noticing why you made them. So what were your emotions at the time? What were the factors that you considered and what you expect the outcome to be? And then review your choices at the end of each month or year. Where were you correct and where did you get it wrong? I can get behind this. I 
clearly struggle with like making decisions because I know I'm going to regret them. And so I think for me, even with like my projector, I think it's, I'm going to make a decision on that at some point. I'm going to get a projector, hopefully. And I think writing down all of these things, like why I did that and what I expect the outcome to be, and then looking back on it, I think will be really validating and probably help me to be less nervous and less worried about making decisions mm-hmm. when I yeah. can see validation of my emotions in that moment. I also, I like the idea that in places where you don't feel good about the decision to do this and have it validate your gut. Yes. Yeah. So I'm doing this very loosely ever since reading the book. And I noticed a decision that I made about a a coach that I chose to hire for me. And I had a gut instinct on some things and where it might not be the right fit, but I I went with it anyway. And it's all turning out to be true. (laughs) So it's validating. So it's validating that your gut made you feel a certain way, but not not so much that you were like, no, I'm not going to do this thing. Right. And I think it can also be in reverse. So I'm also keeping a decision making journal of like when I'm choosing to take on a client or a project. And I think it can be helpful to almost do like a pre-mortem in that sense of like, where do I think this could go awry? Or or where do I expect the outcome might be a little bit less than I'm hoping for? And proactively manage that a little bit. Yeah, because you're writing all that down in your decision journal, right? You're saying like, yes. this is the emotions. This is what I expect the outcome to be. This is like yes. my, my pre-mortem. Yes. Yep. So those are our three tips for how you might take this back to your real everyday work life. I love it. With, with that, we'd love for you to come share with us on Instagram. What are some decisions that you're wrestling with? Did the wrap framework help you at all in working through those? With that, I've been Shannon. I've been Rami, and this has been Workplace Hugs. Mm-hmm.